Hi, I'm Kate Dearden, and you're listening to The Migration Podcast. When our guest today put together his backgrounds in urban planning, architecture, and art with participatory research methods, he began to understand how Syrian refugees living in Zatari camp in Jordan shape their shelters to fit their needs. He argues that refugees are also architects and that they have essential knowledge about functionality and social space in the built environment. In this episode, Amanda Allen Carr interviews Aham Dalal about his book, From Shelters to Dwellings, The Zatari Refugee Camp. Aham, it's very nice to speak with you today. Welcome to our podcast, The Migration Podcast. You focus very much on the influence of uh, migratory movements in the cities. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? For me, migration and, and migratory movements in cities is also part of my biography in a way. I was born to a Palestinian family who was, um, you know, displaced to Lebanon and then Kuwait. And then we have a, we ended up having Jordanian passports through my grandfather. And then my father was working in Lebanon and then he had to, you know, he was displaced also through war to, to homes. And then I was born there. Uh, so I often had this kind of like hybrid background, which is, to be honest, it was normal before the construction of the borders and the and the Levant. But then, because of the establishment of the of the nation states, things got a bit stagnant. So people, uh, you know, got uh, they got fixed in place. Let's put it this way: they this kind of migration movement became a little bit less because of the borders crossing, because you have to have a passport and visa and all these kind of things, you know, that. And then um, when the war happened in Syria, I had to go back to Jordan. And it always was, was very interesting to see that, you know, because I speak Syrian dialects, people were like, okay, so you're Syrian, right? And I'm like, no, I'm actually Jordanian. Wait, I'm actually Palestinian, but you are not really speaking the dialect. So this kind of mixture of identity and movement and space yeah and it's it's really very very much problematic or let's say very much um heavily loaded in the levant because we have as i said these kind of borders that dissect the region they create these kind of territories this kind of colonially constructed borders colonially constructed identities and i think people struggle with this every day so because if you go in taxi and speak an accent and people want to know where you are from and they really try to trace back your migratory background. They want to know where you came from and check out if you're coming from this area. So I, so for me, that that was my, I mean, that's why migration was a very important issue. And also at the same time, because I was displaced to Jordan and I had the chance to do masters in Germany, I was, you know, witnessing that how Syrians were um, trying to find refuge in Jordan or, or Lebanon or Turkey. And um, that time, the Zatari camp was really getting bigger and bigger. It was like, becoming one of the, you know, hotspots of, of refugee humanitarian kind of assistance at that time. And I was really curious. Somehow something was telling me I need to go and see what's going on there. That's really amazing. And speaking about your focus on displacement, cities and spaces, you published recently a book called From Shelters to Dwellings, the Zatari Refugee Camp, and it was in 2022. Um, in your book, you very much focused on the refugee camp and um, as how refugees are actually reconstructing, reassembling, dismantling those spaces and to make them 
more livable or more adaptable to their own needs and experiences. In that book in particular, you offer a fresh angle to the refugee camp. And I would like to ask you to talk a little bit more about that. So the book project was a, was a, was a long project, basically. So it started in 2014. When I first visited the camp, I was doing my master's studies. And then somehow there was like, um, it felt like there was a need to actually dig deeper into what was going on. The, the camp at that time was filled with this kind of innovative practices of people doing different things. It was almost like a kind of architectural laboratory of people doing things almost individually at every place, at every spot, trying to create some kind of alternative life. At that time, I was also reading a lot the the writings of, of Michel Agier, of course, the French anthropologist uh, who wrote about this idea of the camp city. And um, the first approach to the camp was actually start trying to understand and the, the urbanity of the camp, the urbanization of the camp, like what does the urban mean in this context? Because we're speaking about temporary space, we're speaking about temporary infrastructure, temporary shelter, everything is supposed to be uh, at the end of the day uh, dismissible like you need to 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 evacuate the space at some point and, and people should be able to return but uh you know taking the experience of Palestinian refugees in the uh, in camps in the region in the Levant we know that camps can stay at least 70 60 years if the if the political unrest or the conflict it was is not resolved and because the re the region have this kind of like history of these kind of unresolved political issues, there is, of course, tendency of these camps as well to stay longer. So the question was about urbanization, thinking about sustainability, thinking about durability, thinking about temporariness as well. So are these camps going to stay longer or not? Of course, that was my starting point, point as a urban planner, because for us, this kind of, you know, sustainability and how do we deal with, is this a city or not? This is like a, the entry point, let's say, to this kind of space. But uh, during this period, I mean, after 2014, I started to I started my PhD at TU Berlin, 2015, and during this process from 2015 till doing my fieldwork 2017, and, and afterwards, I was in touch with so many people. Of course, like you, that's how we met also Amanda. With many people who did lots of interdisciplinary work on on refugees and migration, and um, I was really curious and really fascinated by the work of many people trying to kind of capture this compelling phenomena because our world is changed by, you know, the movement of people, the displacement of people happening every day, every moment. Um, so the book gives this kind of perspective of what was going on at the camp. So and on the one hand, but at the same time, it's not trying to, um, I, I didn't end up producing an atlas of, let's say, appropriation or atlas of what was going on of practices that were happening in the camp, which is probably the, the more the architectural approach to it. I tried to come up with some kind of conclusion to what I saw, arguing basically that refugees, once they enter the camp, they start to dismantle and reassemble the camp through the practice of dwelling. Because when they are dwelling, they are settling in place, they are being anchored, <laughs> anchored in, the, in the space of the camp, which changes the equation, right? You are anchored, you, you try to claim the right to have uh, privacy, to have uh, to have a to have a life basically which means that you have to do some adjustment so you end up dismantling let's say this kind of disciplinarian arrangement of the camp this kind of 
very rigid, very uh, strict, very controlling arrangement. You try to take pieces and elements out of it and try to put it together in different arrangement. And of course, this work was very much reflected on different field works. I was doing also in other camps like Azra camp in Jordan or even Palestinian camps in, in Jordan as well, or even the camps that were built in, in Berlin at that time, right? The temple homes. Inter interestingly, focusing on this kind of very small micro scale of the dwelling tells us a lot about the camp. And that's, I think, what I was trying to do in the book to kind of start up from this bottom-up approach to really look at what's, hap what's happening inside the living room, inside the kitchen, inside, you know, the, the sleeping area, how people manage to transform uh, the, the the very basic elements, you know, the tents, the canvas, the what is called the caravan, this kind of basic unit, into a, a very dynamic and, and, and um, multifunctional space. In your book, you say that you developed this new method called co-mapping to be able to map those experiences of dwelling, those practices of dwelling. So I wanted to ask if you could, if you can tell us a little bit about um, your approach and uh, how different that is from other mapping exercises that were used in previous research. So um, basically when I, when I was at, in the field, I was trying to kind of understand, as I said, the transformation that happened from start, you know, starting from a basic tent, from a basic space for for usually for a family of five people, uh, into something that is so dynamic and so complex. So I had to come up with some kind of technique to really figure out so how this particular arrangement was before you come up to with with this now. Um, and the difficulty was that. You know, Google Maps were not helping at all. Usually, we we look at Google Maps or or a Google are trying to kind of figure out the the space from top, but the camp, you know, was absolutely pixelated. I mean, it was almost impossible to figure out. You know, I was trying to trace sometimes. You know, because the Google Earth have this kind of quality of checking out the 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 timeline, right? You can get, you go back in history and figure out how the the space looked like, but even that was so pixelated. It was so difficult to see what is going on here. So I had to come up with a with an idea or technique of of, of documenting this transition. So what happened is was you know it, it happened very much uh, automatically or maybe naturally. I was simply asking people, so what did you do until you reached this state? And then start to describe a, a long journey, almost like a a trajectory of materials and trajectory of, of events and things that ended up with this kind of arrangement. And I tried to sketch, um, you know, quickly with them what happened. And I tried to mostly, I was I was mostly trying to understand actually what they were talking about because it was so difficult to even imagine it in my head because they were like, oh, okay, we put this here and this was there. And so I was like, okay, wait a minute, let's put it on the on a on a on a paper. You mean this was here and this was there? And they were like, yeah, okay, no, this was here, but no, this was on the top, this was on the left. This is a little bit different because it involves the researcher. So I'm as interviewee, I'm also talking with the interviewee and trying together to you know to create a, a let's say a visual uh, documentation of what happened uh, through maps. And I would like to pick up on your point about the co-mapping and the experience of actually mapping, right, the the different practices of dwellings among uh, the refugees in a camp, which were also, as you as you said, based on 
on family dynamics, on identities and other aspects that shape, of course, their, uh, their experiences. And how did you come about with the expression of or with the idea of refugees as architect based on your field work? Could you explain that? So it's, a, it's a statement to say, okay, look, there are other people who, you know, who are building things that are much more functional and much more uh, worthy of looking at than the things that some of the architects who are sitting in offices actually do. It's actually a statement to say, okay, we need to maybe as architects to go back a little bit and think of how, you know, normal people actually use space, uh, you know, as individuals, as people, we need to look at, you know, things on a, on a smaller scale. And I think that was, that was the, the reason why I said, okay, these guys are also architects. They are building, they are doing architecture. They are, yeah, actually they are building, they are designing, they are putting materials, they are arranging things together. These practices, or let's say the, the ordinary people as architect is not new. It's also, and you can see it in favelas and informal areas, people who are left out usually from, from normal modes of provision of, of housing, let's say, uh, they end up building their own housing. And this is what's happening in Zaatari camp. And I, uh, exactly, I thought, because at that time there was so much attention from architects on the refugee camps and on refugee issues at that time, I thought it was a very important to say, okay, look, refugees are also architects and they are doing things their own way and we need to learn. So, you know, when we design things, sometimes architects think, okay, we can make nice things on the paper. That's what people will love. And we're solving issues. And I, to be honest, I was shocked during the last years, how many stories I've heard of architects trying to solve, quote unquote, solve the refugee issues or solve issues related to displacement or camps, you know, the temporariness of camps. But do we actually need to solve the temporariness of camps? This is, uh, you know, space that has its own nature. I think what we need to do is learn from what's going on in these spaces and actually bring it back to architecture, maybe practice, to designers trying, you know, making them a little bit more sensitive about other realities and other ways of buildings, maybe. Building on the idea of uh, dwellings, the notion of dwellings in a camp that you've uh, been uh, very much involved, uh, very much focused on your research, there are also artistic productions as part of your project, such as the exhibition, The Durable Ephemeral, and the film 13 Square Meters, which I also have the pleasure to watch. Um, how, does, uh, how do these uh, two productions reflect your own research and also this idea of dwelling of uh, um, refugees as architects and the importance of recognizing those um, yeah, um, everyday uh, practices of building among this group. So at the end of the at the end of the book, I actually dedicate the the the, the conclusion to say, okay, refugees are dwellers, and also this is another provo provocative statement because we think of refugees as people who are you know as a floating piece of of the society. That is people who are always on the move. That's a bit more nomadic lifestyle. But at the end of the day, they have to dwell somewhere. They have to feel at least some kind of settlement, some kind of arrangement where they feel settled and, you know, secure psychologically. That's why I also rely a lot on the notion of dwelling from Heidegger, which I thought gave the most resonance to what I was looking at in the camp, because at that time, 
there were many people, or let's say scholars, talking about homemaking and uh, the creation of homes that I found a little bit different from what I was experiencing because probably because dwelling is a more phenomenological in that sense. It's not necessarily homemaking is very much political, right? You're speaking about home, you're speaking about bigger home, the country, whatever, homeland. And and, and the, what refugees were, were going through, at least from my perspective, was that they were looking for uh, an opportunity to settle down, even in the smallest, tiniest places. I was lucky to co-curate this exhibition, uh, the Durable Ephemeral, with the team from the French Institute uh, uh, for Studies in the Near East, IFPO, in Amman, Beirut. So that was one thing we tried to kind of raise awareness about what was going on and bring a little bit the findings of research to the public. That was one of the things that we wanted to do. And the film that you mentioned, 13 Square Meter, was also you know, the same line, look, looking at what's going on in Berlin. Basically, it's actually telling exactly what's, what is in the book. But one point that you mentioned, this kind of dwelling thing, I, I think that both the book and the film were heading towards another level of of maybe analysis or discussion or probably research, which has a lot to do with housing. I think at the end of the film, I tried to make a connection with uh, Le Corbusier and uh, the, the modernist ideas of housing, which actually influence our, you know, realities of cities because all the housing we have mostly in the new cities are coming from the ideas of modernist architects of like, yeah, we need to make mass housing. We need to make so architecture can solve everything and we can make, you know, we know how to do it. We have the solution. We have the formula. We put this here, we put this there. Uh, the, the failure of modernist architecture very much comes closer to what's happening in the camp, like, you know, putting people in small spaces and assuming that all people have same needs and same um, profile is almost, you know, is, is uh, absurd. Like you, you think about refugees as one big group of people who basically um, um, can be given the same shelter. This is um, definitely not working. And I think the most ironic thing about this was happening in Germany because Syrians usually they have this kind of bigger family structures, right? They are usually coming with four or five family members. And when they came to Germany, of course, the housing market offer only, you know, two two bedroom apartments, three bedroom apartments, four that really, you know, we're, we're getting into rare zone, you know, like big houses. And this is, of course, coming with a price because it's coming, it's becoming really uh, expensive. Um, and bottom line is, it's interesting to see how our, you know, housing, the production of houses, is very much affected with politics, with economics, with our ideology and our ideas of what a family is and what a person should be doing, right? But the situation of the camp, of Zatari camp in particular, showed us that you know the diversity and uh, and you know it's a, a massive amount of opportunities and, and possibilities of how people can live and how the the dwelling space can be so dynamic. Thank you, Ihan, so much for joining us and sharing about your very relevant research with us today in our podcast. Ahem Dalal is an urban planner and architect specialized in the field of forced migration. He is the author of the book, From Shelters to Dwellings, The Zatari Refugee Camp, and a lecturer in architecture and urban design at the German University in Cairo. If you enjoy the Migration Podcast, please consider liking and following us. Thanks for listening.